Hey Loam Loves, this is Kate, the founder and creative director of Loam, and I am so excited today to connect with James Davis. James Davis is a weaver, hand spinner, and writer who creates woven tapestries that reflect the natural world, as well as teaches classes rooted in contemplative practice. James is many things, but what I cherish most is just how generous he is. In our capitalist cultural landscape, James' willingness to be of service with kindness, humility, and care is such a gift. For those of you who came to our Loam Home Weaving Workshop, you'll know the feeling. Thanks to James, we had four full hours to tune into weaving as an embodied, ecological, joyful practice. Every one of us who left that workshop felt changed. So today, James, what I want to talk to you about is, of course, weaving, because you've inspired so many people to pick up a loom but also generosity and how important it is to make generosity of spirit a part of our activist practices. Through your commitment to accessible education and movement building, you've been a huge support to Loam and Loam Home, as well as to a million and one artists and activists in our community. Your relationship to generosity is really radical and remarkable. So can you talk about what exactly gifting means to you and how you practice generosity in your everyday. Absolutely. And thanks for that great intro. I feel very uh, grateful to have all that praise heaped on me. (laughs) Thank you so much. Um, I think the best way to talk about gifting is to sort of back up and talk a little bit about just the process I've been going through over the last year. At the end of 2000. 18, um, I was really in a place where I was trying to get my uh, woven art into shows and into galleries. And as somebody who has an ongoing mindfulness practice, you know, I started to notice how my relationship to my practice was, was shifting. And I found more and more that I was trying to seek external recognition rather than having sort of this sort of contentment just with being able to come home to my practice every day. And this all came to a head one day in January, Lily and I had gotten coffee and we were in uh, the Golden Triangle neighborhood of Denver. And um, I was like, let's just go over to this gallery and go in there. And it almost felt like it was a little bit of an out-of-body experience because I found myself pitching my work to the gallery owner without really any thought about you know, what I wanted to do or where I wanted to go with my work. And as I started to reflect on that over the next month or so, um, I really realized that the current way that I had been working in my practice uh, had completely run its course. Um, There was sort of a transformation and a rebirth um, and a death of the old way I was doing things that, that had to happen. And so, you know, I stepped away from my practice for a little while I think it's really important to do every now and then when you're feeling like you're running up against a wall. And I just kind of got back to basics um, and didn't really do anything creative for a long time. Um, I just, I picked up the electric bass. I guess that's sort of creative, but I didn't really think of it in the same way of like presenting work. Um, I went to concerts and started hiking a lot more. Um, and all of a sudden things started to, to happen. Um, and things started to make a lot more sense. And one of the big things I realized was, is that I just, I don't need to sell anything. I just need to give it away. 
and I need to just let the universe decide where things are going to go. And this all became really clear to me when um, I was just finishing a piece and I had put color in my work for the first time in like two or three years. I, you know, I've been mostly doing um, natural colored Navajo Chura weavings, which is just basically gray, white, brown. Um, and that's it. Those were the only colors I had in my weavings. And I started to use some of the naturally dyed yarn um, that I had dyed at uh, fiber camp up in Fort Collins. Um, and when I got done with that piece, I just had this wonderful sort of, um, epiphany that I needed to give this piece to, um, a fellow fan of the Grateful Dead. They're commonly known as deadheads that I had been interacting with, uh, who lived in Japan. Uh, his name is Taka. And, uh, he had randomly messaged me when I bought a shirt from him and said, I love your work. I'd love to buy one one day. And so I said, well, I'll do you one better. Which one of my look through my profile and choose a piece and I'll give it to you. And that sort of was the jumping off point for this whole new direction of gifting in my practice um, with a real big emphasis on just gifting things as people reach out to me and express a love for my work or an interest in my work or a, a, eventually it also overlapped into expressing an interest in wanting to learn to weave. But at the core of it, it's this idea that in order to fully honor the skills and the lessons that I've learned from weaving, I need to be constantly thinking about how I am giving back to weaving and to the universe and really listening closely to try to pay attention to those markers of when I can possibly share my work with others in a way that takes away the, the sort of commodification of it. I mean, I think in our society, I mean, we're all super um, sort of aware of the fact that everything everything is gets commoditized. I mean, now it's like every little nook and cranny of our lives is colonized by capitalism. Um, and by taking away that impetus and by noticing in my own practice the ways that I was starting to see capitalism colonize my own practice, I just decided to go 180 and go in the total opposite direction and just sort of started to approach things from a much more spiritual perspective to sort of approach all the things that I create and the knowledge that I have to share as sort of these sacred vessels um, and these sacred tools that should be free and that everybody should have access to. So it's really, I mean, it's just been sort of an epiphany over the last couple of months because this, um, this journey of gifting, um, I, I can't underscore how much it means to me because it's brought me in a community um, with Loam. It's brought me in a community with uh, my herbalist, Hannah, who's also one of my um, biggest teachers as it relates to death work is, which is something that I've been working a lot on lately. Um, it's brought me into community with so many people just here in Denver and Boulder. And it, it's all just because I decided to uh, just give everything away. <laughs> and I think what's so beautiful about that act of giving away is that in modeling it for others, you inspire a chain reaction. And, you know, like I felt after I had the experience of that very first weaving workshop, like I felt so full of gratitude and joy, like, wow, this is such a gift to have, to have an opportunity to learn that's free and fun. And then it inspired me to think, okay, what can I give away this week? And I felt so much more energized and encouraged to wholeheartedly embody generosity, which I think is something that for a lot of us in Loam community is a part of how we show up, but really naming it as an integral facet of our activist toolkit is really radical work to me. 
And something I would love to learn more about you is what other practices shape your environmental ethos? Because you are someone who has very strong values and principles. And I'm really curious to know what else in your life informs how you approach the work that you do as an artist and as a writer and an environmentalist. Gosh, and that's, that's such a great point, you know, and as somebody who, so I, you know, in the work that I did before I started weaving, before my Saturn return and before I learned how to weave in Santa Fe on my 30th birthday, that set off all this whole journey that I've been on for the past three years. Um, I was a organizations and social movement scholar. I got a PhD in sociology and I, um, as part of that PhD process, you have to choose what you're going to read in um, areas of literature. And I read in social movements and organizations, really trying to understand the big question I had and why I got a PhD was I was really super interested in knowing how relationships of inequality are created and how are they perpetuated via culture. And outside of the work that I do in my day-to-day life as in my professional life, you hitting on this idea of modeling behavior it's a really big part of my way of showing up in the world because I don't feel personally that it's appropriate for me to tell anybody how to live their life. But I really, really like the idea of modeling behavior. I did something similar with calling my own self out for the use of the term wabi-sabi. Um, I was writing haiku and, in, and incorporated a the term wabi-sabi, which is a traditional aesthetic concept in Japanese culture, into a a haiku, which is a traditional Japanese poetic form. Um, And I read a wonderful piece um, about the shortcomings of that. And rather than just sit with that and um, mull it over, I just laid that bare and said, look, this is is what I think I've done wrong. And this is where I want to go with that. Um, And it's the same thing with generosity. It's this idea of holding yourself accountable for um, the values that you want to maintain and and that you want to embody in the world and making sure that you're constantly checking in yourself, not in a harsh way, but in sort of that way where, you know, you're just trying to be really, really mindful about how, um, what actions you're taking and being really intentional and planful about what you spend your time on because time is super precious. Um, So thanks for that. I mean, I think that's just a wonderful thing. These sorts of things, and this goes back to the micro movements book. One of the reasons I love Lone so much is that this idea of taking these small steps and where they take you, calling my own self out and embodying what it means to um, stand up to white supremacy and also, you know, displaying this sort of radical generosity. You know, I'm really trying to build out what I believe, uh, you know, a wonderful society, a beloved community would look like in the world, these little individual actions. Um, which is true to form with like the loam micro movements. And you just don't know. I mean, the th- crazy thing about the micro movement stuff is as soon as you start taking those steps with those micro movements, you don't, they all cascade. Um, and it, it takes you really amazing places. And, you know, to get back to your question about, you know, what are some of the other things that inform, you know, my environmental ethos, you know, one of the other things that was happening alongside all of this, this whole process was this idea of going back out and hiking more and, and being out in nature more. And it's just been really amazing to sort of realize and um, that art isn't the end-all be-all. And it's just an expression of a larger pathway. I, I figured out this idea by reading uh, an interview with a great bassist named Al Cisneros. I might be totally butchering his name. He's the bassist of a band called Ohm. And he did this amazing interview and he talked about, he was part of this, um, amazing metal band called sleep 
um, that some of your listeners may know or may not know, but they're really highly regarded in certain metal circles as being sort of this foundational band. And what he had said is that that band ran its course. And at the end of it, each one of the members of it became very depressed because they did not have a foundation of their life uh, to rest it on, except for the music. And in his words, he said he kept on trying to find his path or his light in life through music. And what he realized by losing that band and starting Ohm was that all music or art or you know any expression, singing, dancing, um, whatever your art and your creative process is, writing, poetry, is... That's just an expression of the larger path that you walk. So you asking me about um, what informs my environmental ethos um, hits to the core of the big shifts that have been happening in my life over the last five to six months as I've rediscovered that I am not separate from nature. I am nature. Uh, I am one. I am interconnected with all things and sort of embracing this earth-based spirituality that I found by hiking and by just going out and sitting in places, uh, wild places, and being really quiet and just sitting there and becoming wild and rewilding myself like the rest of that atmosphere. So it's sort of interesting. It's like, what is, you know, what is the environmental ethos and the practice that um, underlies everything? I think it's my spirituality. Um, and a lot of that has to do with refining the spirituality of my ancestors and, and digging deep, even beneath the Christian ancestors that I have, because I have Quaker, Catholic, and Baptist ancestors, digging deep into the pre-Christian Germanic and Celtic people that I am descended from to really find that earth-based spirituality that that their ancestors had embodied for all this time. Because I mean, we are united across time and space in that way. And that sort of idea of the oneness of all things um, was something that I can't, I just, it's even funny to talk about it now because if I hadn't have gone to Santa Fe in September and gone out and um, sat at tent rocks in the quiet, sat at uh, uh, Cerritos Hills State Park um, in the quiet, uh, if I hadn't you know, sat in a hot spring for half a day um, and just soaked in that atmosphere, uh, I don't think I would have made the realization. I mean, the biggest one was um, going up in being an abacue and walking up Chimney Rock at Ghost Ranch, um, Chimney Rock being a, a trail that leads up to a rock that looks like a chimney that leads up off of uh, the Ghost Ranch, which is an amazing um, retreat center and uh, artist retreat, uh, about maybe 45 minutes to an hour north of uh, Santa Fe. And just having this extremely profound sense that I was not separate from any of this. Listening to the symphony of the grasses as the wind cascaded through those blades of grass, seeing the clouds cascading through the sky and seeing the mountains all surrounding me. I just had this sort of epiphany and had been building to this for some time, but it was in that moment that everything just seemed to make sense. And that this sort of earth-based spirituality of my ancestors became something that I was really, really, really driven to seek out and connect with. Um, and from that point, I mean, I think that this, you know, that what is it? What you know, that's a, a really sort of you know um, spiritual center sort of way. But the only reason I got there was because of the constant iterations of 
deciding that I wanted to weave in a circle, which is something that I talk a lot about when I teach people to weave is that, you know, um, all the classic masters of weaving had control over each part of the process and they wove in super local ways, meaning they were in relationship with the shepherds that were close to them, um, knew the sheep's name of the wool that they were spinning, uh, knew the way that they had to spin that uh, comb and spin that yarn in order to get the sort of yarn that they needed to weave tapestries with it. Um, and I'm just in the beginning stages of that whole process and I'll probably never get to the end of it, but that whole iterative process of moving through those cycles and wanting to be a part of that wild ecosystem that's out there, not just as somebody who's sitting and listening and rewilding himself and de-educating myself from the, um, super rational way that I approach the world as a PhD trained sociologist, but it's also this idea that this is all available to us right here and right now, and that when we pick up weaving, you know, we are working through those, um, especially weaving in a local way, we are picking up this ancient way of sort of approaching this environmental stewardship where we are taking really big concern um, and using our dollars in our craft to support the local ecosystem of animal stewardship and shepherdship uh, that's going on. And it just so happens that, you know, this, this overlaps a lot with uh, ideas of matriarchy too, because you know, so many of the shepherd uh, shepherdesses today are women, especially in the uh, Navajo Churro community. Um, the a lot of the people that I buy yarn from are shepherdesses, and it's super encouraging to see that happening and that reenlivening of that uh, sort of make, matriarchal approach to animal um, stewardship and, and animal raising. Um, really, like at the core of it, that iterative cycle of weaving in a local way and going through that process of getting the wool, combing and spinning the wool and weaving the wool is what brought me to this sort of epiphany of wanting to, you know, embody this sort of earth-based spirituality of, of wanting to be not just a steward to the land, but to be somebody who's intimately connected with the intelligence that is within the plant uh, community all around us. Um, gosh, that's just such a beautiful, it's just a beautiful cycle. And I get so wrapped up in, in, in talking about it. Cause it's just, just incredibly gorgeous. And, you know, one brief story connected to that is I sort of made this realization when I was, um, getting done with the show about the, a year ago. And I just felt like I really just wanted to, I was doing all this super detailed weaving work and I just wanted to, to work with my hand spun. I had just gotten done. Um, spinning this beautiful wool from this sheep named Izzy, um, who was a who's a Navajo churro sheep in um, Kelly Dunig's flock in um, Marin County, um, which is just outside of San Francisco. And we've been working together a lot on stuff because she raises such beautiful uh, Navajo churro sheep, and I love to spin her wool. And I just was like, I'm just going to spin straight Izzy yarn and not do any design. Um, and that was sort of the birth of the Let the Fiber Speak series, where all I do is I just do that weaving in a circle. And it's all about just letting the yarn and the fiber of that animal speak. And Izzy was just so special in this regard because she had this beautiful chocolate fleece um, in the tips of all of the locks of her um, wool, her fleece, were um, sun bleached from being in the hills in Marin County. Uh, they were uh, sun bleached blonde. So there was this beautiful variegated quality to all of the um, 
all of the yarn that I created. And when I wove it up, these beautiful patterns emerged out of nowhere, almost as if Izzy was speaking through that tapestry. And I was just this conduit for her message, you know, and I mean, that, that circle, that cycle, those little, I mean, it's a very Wendell Berry, um, Gary Snyder-esque way of looking at things, but I'm super informed by both of their work um, and Mary Oliver as well, of this digging into these local little crevices um, and these ancient old ways of doing things and finding a way to find the wisdom that is inherent in those ways of doing things. It's just an incredibly beautiful thing. Um, and I am just another one of those people that's rooted in that same tradition within that environmental ethos of wanting to live in a smaller self-contained circle within a bio loop. That was a lot. Geez, sorry about that. Whew. Oh my gosh, no. I felt like I was totally on that journey. Um, well, thanks so much. I appreciate it. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, there's so much you just shared that that really resonates. I loved hearing you talk about finding the medicine in your own ancestry. Um, I really appreciate what you had to share about accountability. I think something we've been talking a lot about in the Loam community is the importance of reclaiming accountability in this work. Um, accountability to being of service, accountability to being politically and socially and ecologically engaged. And I love too how you really wove a story of how weaving functions as a spiritual technology, because it's something you talk often about. It's something that hits so close to home is that is that weaving is a way to be in conversation with our spirituality and to connect with our ecosystem. And I would love to learn more from you about how readers can integrate weaving into their own life and similarly bring the spiritual technology um, to use it as a channel for understanding their local fiber sheds, for nurturing their capacity for creativity. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, two shout outs. I mean, I think if, if you haven't read, so this is just for all the listeners out there. If you haven't read the beauty and being issue of Loam yet, you should really go and seek that out and read Jade Begay's piece on finding ancestors and, and her connection to her own ancestors. She has this beautiful line. I probably have said it like 9 million times um, on the internet, but it seems like it's, um, I, I just basically sing Jade's praises and especially that article anytime I can, because she said, wouldn't it be beautiful? And I'm, this is a rough paraphrase. I don't have it right in front of me, but um, how beautiful would it be if all of the European and African peoples went back and found their own ancestors? You know, and that, that came about in this time period where I had already started walking on that path. And I was like, yes, absolutely. Absolutely. Yes. And, you know, it, it's just so important. And it's just so kind of her to offer those words up as a gift for all of us other folks, as people who are you know, separated from our ancestral traditions, you know, for the longest time, I even was, you know, really actively in this space of not really feeling comfortable of claiming my own um, German and Celtic and Scottish and British ancestors. But it, and it's real work, because you have to show up to the inherent uh, atrocities that have been perpetrated by people from our ancestry. Um, but as in with all beautiful things, there is both ugliness and beauty. And to only look at the atrocities that my, you know, Celtic and German and British ancestors perpetrated is to ignore also all the beauty that they've brought into this world. And 
that was a big moment for me because I had to sit with the discomfort of being parts of uh, bloodlines that caused a lot of suffering on the planet and a lot of suffering to the planet um, and a lot of, to a lot of different relations. And out of that, I was able to find that, you know, really I needed to move through that and find the beauty as well. And as soon as I did that, um, I started to realize that basically the last three years of weaving had all led to this point with ancestral practices. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's just amazing. This, this practice is, um, of weaving is this idea being a spiritual technology is extremely, extremely special. I think about this a lot and I write about it a lot. I don't, I think I've only scratched the surface and it seems like every day I peel back another layer on it, but it's just sort of striking to me because we don't really think about like weaving, um, hand spinning as technologies. We also, we often talk about them as crafts and really, I think that does a disservice to the fact that basically all of our, every garment that we wear is woven by a machine. Um, it is a, it is a foundational. If the internet is, is foundational to our communication technology, then the loom is still this foundational piece of technology that is essential to clothe us, to shield us from light, to allow us to ground in to provide us comfort on our seat. I mean, there's so many ways that, that um, woven garments um, provide that. I mean, you think about adornment, think about dyeing culture across the world, all these things come to mind. And we just somehow have, I feel like a lot of the technologists in Silicon Valley have um, sort of um, brought about a monopoly on the idea of technology and what technology is and how they define it to the detriment of a, a lot of thinking of these old ancient ways, right? Because, you know, Gary Snyder, you know, would be the Buddhist poet who lived up in Northern California and Wendell Berry would be quick to point out that agriculture and foraging are two essential technologies um, that the majority of people have, have lost touch with um, in our society. And I think of weaving as, as just as important. Um, I mean, to go into a little bit of uh, a brief abridged version of my own story of this. So I learned how to weave when I, when my, on my 30th birthday in Santa Fe or around my 30th birthday in Santa Fe, um, came back, didn't have a loom, didn't know how to do it. Ended up taking a tapestry weaving class with Sarah Newbert, who's in my, who's in our community, who's absolutely wonderful and an amazing, amazing weaver. And from that point, I just couldn't put a loom down, um, there was just something about it. Um, and Sarah always talks about, and she's written wonderful articles about the healing power of, of weaving. And it wasn't apparent to me in the beginning that weaving was a spiritual technology. It, it wasn't, a, it, that didn't become apparent till later. But what happened was there was this great softening of me because I'd lost my mom when I was 28. Um, and I learned to weave because she had always said that she wanted to learn to weave always she always said that and it's one of these things that is sort of crazy that you just keep on going back in these iterative circles and realizing that how certain ways of being and certain ways of approaching your practice you didn't realize it from the beginning but something's always been there and for me that's been um you know sort of this process of being constantly reborn um, and constantly overcoming all of these struggles that i've had you know first starting with um, doing the the work of transformation and rebirth um, that my friend Hannah would rightly call death work. You know, these, these tools that allow us to become reborn 
that fundamental moment when I decided to finish my mom's unfinished business by taking up weaving, uh, I rooted my practice within this relationship that I would always be relating in some way to death. And I'm actually writing about this right now um, because I didn't realize it as, as is typical. I mean, this is like pretty typical of me. Like I literally need the universe to like knock me on the head 55 times <laughs> before I realize something. Um, but I just finished a piece last night for two friends who lost three family members that they had a very, very short time with. And they asked me to make them a weaving to honor those uh, people that they lost. And so I literally just got through this month-long process of doing this weaving. And I realized the other day that, uh, and through some one of my other friends who had, had posted on the uh, internet that uh, my work relate, was related to death. And I remember her saying that on the internet. I was like, oh yeah, I guess my work really is related to death. And then I went back to this foundational moment where I was literally finishing my mom's unfinished work. Um, that's how I started to weave. And then slowly over time, as I started to weave, and as Sarah Newbert would always tell us, that back and forth eye movement is extremely healing. Um, it heals your brain. It creates new connections. The neuroscience of weaving is extremely, extremely beautiful. Um, that's one of the reasons why they, after World War II, when people came back and people were extremely shell-shocked and broken from the horrors of war, they would have people take up occupational therapy in the weaving studio to sort of um, recenter themselves and to heal their brains. It's extremely healing. And I went on my own healing journey with that. You know, I, um, uh, being a white man, I said, oh, I'm going to deal with my emotions my own way and I'm going to heal myself. But really that was just like, you know, part of the process of weaving and softening me into realizing that I just needed to go to therapy. Um, and through that realized that, um, I had undiagnosed OCD and then, you know, through that whole process, um, it opened up a ton more space after going to therapy and going on medication to sort of make these next steps in my process to be able to see all these connections, you know, um, and just sort of really take a step back and start to think about how spiritual um, weaving is, specifically with my ancestors, where I was just reading today that um, the patroness of weaving or the deity associated with weaving in the pre-Christian Germanic society was uh, Frau Halle. Um, I'm probably also butchering that pronunciation, but she was associated. Um, and this will probably not surprise people that she's associated with the underworld and death and rebirth. Um, so I have this amazing folklore that, uh, from my ancestors that says that, you know, weavers and spinners are these people that are constantly dealing with death and rebirth. And they're the people in our society that do the death work. And that's sort of the amazing sort of steps that I don't even think that I've talked to you very much about or written about, Kate. Um, but it's been this really exciting realization over the past couple of weeks where the spiritual focus of this has gone even beyond just this sort of being connected to the natural world into this very deep rootedness within a uh, ancestral line and a folklore of the people that I come from to where to borrow, you know, the wonderful Sarah Lindsay's idea, I'm starting to understand how weaving is in my blood. Um, and I can't underscore enough how important and powerful that is um, for any person to track down that folklore to find out what's in their blood. Um, and it just so happens for me, weaving is one of those things. And I can't underscore enough how it's transformed my whole life. I mean, I just, I just think about it, literally weaving 
has brought me to this conversation. Weaving brought me to loam, which brought me to wanting to go to my apothecary, which brought Hannah into my life, who helped me understand that um, I was doing death work. Um, gosh, I mean, weaving brought me to therapy. Weaving brought me to healing. Um, weaving brought me to understanding ancestry in this super profound, deep way. And a, a, a short plug to Sarah Lindsay, because I wouldn't even, gosh, I mean, you just think about this, Kate, and another example, how lone community sort of um, takes you on these cra- these little micro movements are, are so crazy. Sarah random, she commented that she loved my work on something that you had posted of mine. I think maybe when we announced the, um, the giveaway and I was like, Oh, that's cool. Thank you so much. And I checked out her work and then now she's become one of like the most important, um, thinkers that, that I read and consider, um, whenever I'm doing things, she's the person that brought me to ancestry work. Gosh, it's just crazy. It's just crazy how, how quickly these things happen. And, you know, I just can't underscore enough, whatever it is, we it's weaving for me. But if you feel called, and I always tell this to people, and that's one of the reasons why I teach people to weave when they come up to me. If somebody has the courage to come up to somebody and say, I, I want to learn that, or if you have the courage to say to yourself, I want to learn that, I feel called to learn that, it's one of the most important things to do to heed that call and do that thing. I can't think of any more important spiritual work because in essence, weaving is a spiritual technology for me because it connects me to the oneness of the universe. It connects me to the, um, this practice that slows me down and, and places me within a place. And it connects me to this gigantic trans dimensional trans time and space place where I can be connected with the people across space and time. It's just beautiful. It's just wonderful. James, thank you so much for, for sharing that story and for everything that you have brought up surrounding death work and cycles, I'm really excited on a personal note to sit with that and want to thank you again so much for making the time today and for all the ways that you gift to artistic communities. It's truly appreciated. Gosh, and 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 you're you're a part of that. I mean, you're a weaver <laughs> now. I was just thinking about that crazy weaving that um that you did. And I've been thinking about that design element that you added in there. And that, that's sort of the special thing for me is that this idea of teaching people to weave that are uh, close to you, you get to then riff off of them all the time. So it's like, it's been funny. Uh, the big thing, the big design element that I brought into this most recent piece was um, that soft, gentle curve that, that we had taught and learned in that class. Um, and that teaching process, it's, it, I don't think it's a coincidence, but I basically like started to go back to my roots with weaving um, after teaching all these folks how to weave. And it set me up perfectly to be ready to heed that call when my friends contacted me and asked for a weaving. And then all of a sudden I'm doing all these design elements that I had just been teaching people. It's like the synchronicity of the universe is (laughs) sometimes you can just, you just have to laugh at it because it's, it's just too much. Oh, I love that so much. Yeah. I mean, weaving yeah, definitely huge fan now. Um, and <laughs> it so grateful. It's a joy to see that. And I mean, I, yeah. I just can't underscore enough how important your project has been to my development. Um, I feel like Loam has accelerated my evolution of, as a human being within a short time period of a couple months of absorbing everything that you 
you all have put out there. Um, I've made these leaps and bounds that I don't think I could have made without, you know, uh, bouncing off of what y'all are putting out into the world. So I, I just have to thank you so much. And I know I say this to you probably too much, but <laughs> I think it, <laughs> I just, every chance I get, I like to just to absolutely um, blare the horns of, of gratitude and thanks for you and for everybody in the loan community for everything that they've given me. Oh, thank you, James. And you're part of that community now. So Yay! <laughs> yeah. Hooray! We can all blast the horns of gratitude. <laughs> oh my gosh, it's just so important. You know, it's just and that, and that's why I always go back to this idea of generosity. It's like when you really center in and you really realize that everything you do is just an expression of that one path. Like if we really take Al Cisneros's um, idea that everything we do is just an expression of our spirituality, whatever that is. Um, you know, like you really start to realize like, gosh, there's just, I have so much to be thankful for. If I had a, I have to stop myself all the time from like texting people to be like, thank you so much. I almost did it to you the other day. Cause I was like, oh my gosh, like, I just so appreciate the way you communicate. Like, it's just, and I wanted to text you just to say that. Um, it's just amazing how, just how bountiful the world is, how abundant it is. Um, you know, and gosh, there's just so much joy to be found. I could not agree more. <laughs> um, I think there is no shortage of beauty and things to be grateful for. And, and what you shared just now is a beautiful reminder, um, to maybe to our listeners out there to shoot a text or better call, uh, someone you feel thankful for and let them know. I think that would be a beautiful way to kind of um, give the gift of this convert to pass it forward as it were. Yeah. And give um, a shout out to your ancestors. Um, I know that it might feel weird at first, but just get, you know, give it a try. Just, you know, find a little bit of quiet um, in a nook and cranny of a day and just say thank you to an ancestor that meant a lot to you. Um, or even reach, reach beyond the ancestors that you know, and reach out to your entire bloodline and just say, gosh, thank you for holding all this space so that my life could be possible. Um, it's, it's an extremely powerful practice. Um, and, and one that I know that everyone's ancestors would really appreciate. Well, thank you so much again, James, for sharing. You really are um, an important part of this community. I also want to thank Isaac Silk for editing our podcast, Isaac and Faith Harding for our intro music, And to all of our Loam listeners, thank you for continuing to show up and be a part of this community. I so love being in conversation with you all and I'm just truly grateful. 